DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to bring in David Nixon, our BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker. And he joins us right now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Hey, fellas. How's it going? It's going all right. Unless you were all geared up for the BYU Army game, and then you're you're probably a little disappointed. Or are you over that by now? No, I'm still disappointed. Uh, I think I all I think the, the fans and frankly the players, of course, want to be out there on the field. I mean, especially coming off that, that Navy game, you practice a whole week uh, in, in preparation uh, for the Army game uh, because you basically have a bye week built in, and then you have to take another bye week because of COVID. So. I tell you what, props to these players. I mean, these are crazy times. They're they're just on a roller coaster of emotions. I, I would imagine with with all of a sudden potentially not having a season to having a season, having a fantastic first game. Uh, then you got to sit out and kind of wait to see, uh, you know, practice for a week and a half, and then next thing you know, your game is canceled because of COVID. And now there's a lot of uncertainty of once again who you know uh, practices and meetings and how that all goes down. Uh, and the pro- now the protocol and, and how quickly they can resume. And it's just, uh, I think every day for them is something different. I, I'd be tough, I would imagine, as a player to kind of keep yourself mentally engaged uh, when things are changing every day. So what are you up to now, 350 uh, off the tee? <laughs> I, I will say my golf game's getting stronger uh, with COVID. Uh, it's, uh, I've, I've golfed <laughs> way too much, yes. <laughs> Have the opportunity to golf a few holes with David. He can pound it. That's for sure. So, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't always go straight, uh, PK. But it, <laughs> I, I can. It can go far. Just sometimes to the left and to the right. Yeah, once we get to the fall, which we, you know, we're basically in, even us as media guys, you know, we have the the emotional, mental breakdown of what the week is going to be like. You know, we come in on our shows on Monday and we review the games from Saturday. Then we progress during the week. And you can almost, like, feel literally something that is unfeelable, but you can feel the momentum of working towards the week. And then I know for me, covering college football for so many years now, you know, I wake up on Saturday. I don't – I may, I may wake up at home. I may be in a different city, but I just have this emotion, man. Today's game day, and I plan. I basically plan the whole week around it, and we plan the whole shows, all of our shows, and all of that has been interrupted. How is? The, how do you think the players are handling this emotional upheaval? Because I got to think that that is just about as difficult as maybe even preparing physically. No question, and. Here's the thing with football, and all coaches, you know, for all the different type of coaches I played throughout my high school, college, and pro career, every single coach wants to get a routine put in place, and, and they all want some structure around the players, um, so you can kind of anticipate what's coming next, uh, and you can prepare the same week in week out, right? You hear that from all coaches that preparation is key with football, and and you're right. Right now, it literally is changing every day. I mean, look at the Big Ten players woke up this morning and they realized we're going to play football. I mean, it's changing <laughs> day in and day out. And, and with the COVID testing, you you can think you're good. And the next thing you know, a couple of your teammates test positive and you're shutting everything down uh, overnight, right? Um, and, and so it, I agree. This this is uh, this is where Kalani makes his money <laughs> and all head coaches across the country because you've got to keep your players uh, engaged. You've got to keep them present. Uh, and, and you've got to give them some type of hope and optimism that everything will be okay. 
Um, and I think about this BYU team, I tell you what, if they lost to Navy in that first week, then you get hit with this news, I think that could break a lot of players because it would be really, really tough to overcome uh, to, to now you're doubting everything about the season. I mean, is it even worth playing? We lost to Navy. We're 0-1. It's unfortunate for BYU. They're, they're still riding high off that first win. The problem is you want to get back on the field ASAP, and, and now they're not able to. So um, this is where Kalani, this is where Tom, I mean, if, if I'm Tom, I'm going down there to – the football, uh, you know, their, their first meeting in the morning, just reassuring them that you're doing everything you can to get that Army game uh, rescheduled. And, and you know, once BYU gets this COVID thing under check, uh, then they'll be off and running and playing again. So, and, and listen, I, I think it's probably reality check as well for the players um, to realize they've, they've got to take care of themselves. And, and you've, got, you've got to wear a mask and, and you've got to make sure that uh, you're staying clean. Otherwise, you're going to affect your teammates. And that's the last thing you want to do, right, as, as, a, as a teammate. The last thing you want to do is, is disappoint your fellow teammates um, and put your guys in, in some type of bind. So um, I, I think it might be a positive thing that it happens so early on versus down the road. But it's, it's a bummer. It comes off basically, like I said, a bye week for BYU after that Navy game. Uh, now come, turns into basically two bye weeks. The way they beat Navy and the fact they don't have any Power 5 teams on the schedule and the fact the offensive line looks like it's so good – do you think they're just assuming right now we're going to win the rest of these? I would if you're if you're BYU. I think Army's shaping up to be a pretty solid opponent, uh, and we'll, once again we'll see if that gets rescheduled or not. Um, but listen, this team knew they were going to be pretty darn good coming into the season. You had Zane Anderson, Troy Warner. Uh, you still got Chris Wilcox who's working his way back on the defense side of the ball. Um, a lot of skill and, and and a lot of experience coming back. And then on the outside of the ball, and really both sides of the ball, you had a lot of players who got hurt last year. I mean, last year, I think the BOU had to be one of the worst years as far as injuries go. And as a result, you had a lot of young guys who were able to step in and play and gain that experience, that game time experience. And then, of course, these veteran guys come back off their injuries. And so now you've got veterans, young guys. The whole team has this game experience that you can, they can lean on. And, and because of that, you can rotate guys in and out. Um, and, and you just have a more solid team, of course. So – you know, if I'm BYU, I'm looking at that, the way you played against Navy, and, and yeah, you're excited. Listen, we're all pumping the brakes, of course. We realize there's one game, uh, and, and there's a lot of football to be played. But you really do. You look at the schedule, and, and you say BYU should be favored now in every game um, and, and should be able to take care of business. But we'll see, obviously. I think that's why the, both uh, fans and players obviously want to get back to the field because – they want to be able to. The players want to be able to prove themselves that prove to themselves that yeah, we're, we're the real deal, uh, and and go out there and make it two games in a row. Um, but you need. I think all everyone needs a little bit more of a sample size to to go out there and say this is a team that can run the table or not. But uh, schedule wise, when you look at it, no question. I mean, I think from what they showed week one, this is a team that should, should have a lot of confidence uh, to know that they can go out there and run it. So during that Navy game, I had a friend of mine who played at the college level text me, man, I wish Kalani would stop acting like an adolescent with all the emotion that he was showing in the dancing. And I got to think about it, and I pondered it for the next couple days. And, you know, Kalani, you got to be true to who you are. And you played for Bronco, and I'm not sure Bronco would have danced on the sideline. You know, that's, that's not something that he would have done under just about any circumstance. But as I'm thinking with no fans and you're on the road, 
and it's your first game and you're trying to get everybody going, I'm actually thinking that this might be the right thing because there's no other way for you to get fired up and be at an emotional level that you need to be unless it's coming from yourselves because of the fact of the unusual circumstances. So I'm thinking that I support what Kalani was doing. Put yourself in a position, you were a former player, obviously, as a current player. How would you react to that? I love it. And I, and I do love it. I mean, to your point, they've got to create the energy somehow uh, when you have no fans in the stadium to, to root you on and, and you create that. you, you got to create yourselves. And uh, Kalani was doing just that. And, and, and he mentioned on our BYU TV Sports postgame show that uh, the players asked him to do that. The players asked him to be amped up and, and kind of go crazy. And, say, and so he said, listen, the players asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, and, and I think that just shows you kind of respect between the players and, and Kalani and, and vice versa. And so uh, I, I think it was awesome. I mean, yeah, it, it maybe gets out a little out of control and, and optically maybe it looks bad because head coach is supposed to be more stoic and more serious on the sideline. Um, but I, I love the fact that he's out there celebrating with his guys and getting pumped up. And it's just a different approach. I mean, keep in mind, Bronco, he, he celebrated just as hard, but he did it behind closed doors. I mean, in the locker room, you've seen videos where – after wins, everything goes crazy in there and, and throwing water bottles and spraying stuff everywhere. So it, it was it was fun, but it wasn't on the on the field per se. But Klein just, just left it all out there. And and, uh, and I think the players respect him for that and they play harder for him because they realize this is a guy that's not trying to be a different guy on the field versus he is behind closed doors and that, that Klein is who he is. And I think, I think players respect that. And, and like I said, I think he's trying to bring some energy to the field as well. This this, these are crazy times. I cannot imagine playing in front of no fans. I mean, I just, that's that's the whole point of, of football. When you st- when you take a step back, football is just pure entertainment. I mean, it's it's a game you play to entertain fans, uh, and and especially when you get to the NFL level, right? Uh, you get compensated well to do it, but you, it's pure entertainment. And when you don't have anybody there to watch you to for you to entertain them, it's got to be tough. When it's when it's quiet, I mean, it's a scrimmage. And I, Obviously, we all. I, I played lots of scrimmages, and it's 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 fun, but it's not that fun. <laughs> and and these guys, uh, that, that's what the mindset. I mean, that's what the reality is. It's basically playing in scrimmage week in week out. So um, I think they're pretty excited to get home for the Troy game and and uh, play in front of you know six thousand fans, which would be nice. But uh, yeah, it. I, I love Kalani the way that he's celebrating. Um, and you know, maybe some people feel like it's adolescent and childish, but. I think it's the right thing, given the circumstances. Uh, and like I said, given what the players asked for him to do, and uh, they, they wanted to see that from him, and, and he's given it to them. David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker, joining us. Of all the Broncos celebrations, the one I remember the most is at Cal when it looked like they nearly threw him off the sprinklers in the ceiling. He came very close to you know needing stitches, right? Facial lacerations. Could they throw Kalani that high? Kalani's pretty thick. He's, he's, he's a little thicker, uh, but I tell you what, with that offensive lineman you get underneath there, that offensive lineman, I guarantee, could push him that high. I mean, I think, I think it's definitely doable. <laughs> okay. All right, serious football question. Louisiana Tech's brand new to the schedule. Last six years, they're averaging about nine wins under Skip Holtz. So do you view them now, unless the Army game's rescheduled, are they the, are they the biggest, are they the best opponent and the biggest hurdle to an undefeated season? I think it's a toss-up between them and Houston. Um, and like you said, deciding upon what happens with, with Army. But, um, yeah, I mean, anytime you, you face an air raid type offense like Louisiana Tech, 
And especially for BYU, it's difficult, right? And BYU struggles traditionally with those type of offenses. So um, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. And, and I, I love the fact that they, Tom Homo is still out there looking for games. And even given, once again, we, the reason he left a lot of bye weeks open and the reason a lot of other teams left bye weeks open towards the season is because of what's going on right now with COVID. Uh, to, to give you time to reschedule and make up games. And so, uh, you know, we've been told that he's going out there actively, you know, aggressively going out there looking for games. And sure enough, we saw the announcement with Louisiana Tech. So um, we'll see. I, I think everyone's optimistic that he'll eventually fill out a 12-game schedule, uh, even though it might take some time to, to get to it. Uh, but we've seen that he's, uh, he's out there trying to make it happen. So I, I like the game. Uh, you know, of course, once again, we, we'd all like to see P5s, but, but you, you're seeing with the announcements, uh, I believe Big Ten announces more, and it's only an eight-game schedule interconference. So it's going to be tough to schedule those guys, and hopefully uh, bowl games still happen. BYU can find themselves in a, in a good bowl game and, and play a, a great P5 to kind of finish the season. But in the meantime, you gotta you got to play whoever they've lined up for you, and uh, Troy's next, but I, I like the Louisiana Tech pick and, and hope that they can get some other good teams on the schedule. Not sure what the right word is, frustrated, irritated, inflamed, but if you were a Pac-12 player and you see what's happening and you just sort of alluded to the Big Ten coming back and the others that are out there playing, what would your emotions be right now? Listen, I'm a, I'm a BYU guy, and of course, you know, we, uh, we have this heated rivalry with the U. I honestly feel terrible for those guys because as a, as a, as a fellow athlete, uh, you train so hard uh, and you put so much time and energy into what is college football. And, and I feel bad for the U players. I feel bad for the whole Pac-12 uh, uh, because as of now, as of today, they're, they're not playing. Who knows? That could change. Uh, I think it'd be tough for them to change given the state of California and the fact that you have, uh, what, four teams in the, just in the state of California alone. Uh, and so – I just uh, you you feel for them honestly, and I, I don't know if they can change course like the Big Ten has, but um, you know I, I I feel for them, and, and hopefully there's a way they can spark their season up here soon too, given given everything the Big Ten's explaining. I mean I think the Big Ten's done a good job so far this morning of what I've read, of putting material out there saying you know why they changed their decision and and what the what it looks like going forward as far as testing and in different phases the teams have to be in in order to to compete. So. Um, I, I feel for them. I hope they can find a way. If not, it's it's a huge bummer because, like I said, you've got kids that, that have, even with COVID going on, we're still working out, finding ways to work out, finding, finding ways to meet up with their teammates at parks to run routes and, and, and be together and to be able to not, do the, you know, not, not have the opportunity to play while everyone else is playing. It's just got to be solved in the wounds. Maybe I'm overly confident here or overly optimistic but when the commissioner says this antigen test is a game changer, well, that only applies one thing, playing. And now the Big Ten has, and clearly the Big Ten was under pressure, and clearly you don't want to be the only Power Five conference sitting out. I'm just figuring it's when are they going to announce it, not if they're going to announce it. Am I being too optimistic here? Yeah, I think, I think in normal circumstances, uh, the, 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 you know, naturally that would be the case. But once again, I think you're, you're dealing with a, a state of California uh, that has so much sway and it has its own issues um, that, you know, I, I, I just don't know if it happens or not. And, and when you've got, you know, a, what, a third of the conference uh, just in that state alone, I, I think it just makes it super difficult to, to be able to move forward and, and have a full conference play when, when you've got schools in California that literally, I mean, the, the whole cities are still shut down. So 
I think politics, that's where it's a bummer that politics come into play here. Um, but I think for the Pac-12's case, that's, that is the case. So I, I, I'm with you. Hopefully they can find a way and, and, and maybe think restrictions start to ease up there in California. But until then, it's, it's going to be a tough sell. Um, and, of course, naturally, we'd all want to see it happen. I mean, I think there's now, with the Big Ten, they're basically trying to play catch-up, right? They're playing eight games. They, they hope to have their conference game, I believe, by the end of December, which lines up. To, to jump right into college football playoffs, you know, not have that month and a half that you typically have um, for, for, you know, have off until the college football playoffs and bowl games. They just basically sucked that up in this last month, month and a half. And so um, I, I think that lines up well, and hopefully the Pac-12 could jump on board. I just, man, it, it looks difficult given, given the circumstances, given everything going on out here in the West. You're a former NFL player. Uh, what did you think of the social activism on week one? Look, I'm 100% behind the cause. I, I, I get it. And I, having grown up in Texas um, and, and seeing things there from my own eyes uh, and then seeing what's going on in the NFL, I, I 100% support the movement they're doing um, and you know, would stand beside them if I were out there on the field. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just difficult times. I mean, the crazy thing, we talk about COVID change every week. Of course, there's different cases and different video footage coming out every week as well with some of those police brutality, and it's, um, you know, changing the way that these players approach the game as well. So it's something that's, that's ever-changing, and, and hopefully, you know, they can – all players can start to feel at ease more with, uh, with some of the reform and uh, some, of the, some of the action that's taking place. I think that's my biggest thing is, hey, let's come together. Let's, let's draw out and let's put out there some uh, things that we can all do together as a community and, and as, as players on the field, those guys. Uh, that they can do to, to try to make this a better world to live in, frankly, right? And, and make sure we are kind of one team and one unit. So, um, you know, what, whatever they decide and, and however they decide to do it, uh, I'm all ears and, and would be 100% behind it. So there are clearly people in this state, we see it in our social media, who would disagree with you completely. And you say you grew up in Texas and you saw stuff. Um, you know, the, the Jazz, I don't know about the local colleges because they're not playing, but certainly the Jazz have gotten feedback from fans and sponsors. Some of, they're, they're really upset, and some of the stuff that they've gotten back has really crossed the line. Um, but there are other people who are upset and haven't crossed the line. So what have you seen that makes you think that, that you could convey to people whose views are 180 degrees opposite of what you think? Yeah, listen, I just grew up in a, in a, I mean, even where I grew up in College Station, Texas, right, is, is a nice affluent area. Um, but I had, I had lots of uh, teammates and lots of friends that were obviously African-American that, that didn't grow up in the same type of circumstances. They, they didn't have the same type of privileges that, that frankly, we had as, as Caucasians. And so, um, you know, they, they, they were kind of a step behind, if you will. Uh, and, and that's why, once again, I, I, I stand with them. I understand where they're coming from. I, I understand that there's years and years, decades and centuries of pent-up frustration, um, and, and that this is the time that they're kind of allowing it all out there. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with them. I, I understand where, where they're coming from. Uh, I know that some of these manners with, with uh, the riots and things like that is definitely not the right way to go. I think it's more of, and you've seen this come out from some people where it's more of a message of love and unity and how can we fix this together, not how can we divide each other more. Um, and so I think there's movements all over the place that are trying to figure it out that, that haven't quite hit the right approach yet. Um, but you look at these NFL players, none of them are inciting violence as far as I'm aware of. 
Um, and all of them are trying to, to find a way for us to be united against this. And so, um, I, I, I get it. I, like I said, I saw it firsthand and, and, um, you know, I understand it's a touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, not, obviously I'm watching it play out as well, but, uh, it's, I definitely don't take the approach of, you know, what are these guys doing? This is a joke. I, I, I like I said, I totally get where they're coming from and, and, uh, I'm with them. I'm, I mean, I'm with them to figure out a way to, to, to end this and to, uh, make change, a positive change. Uh, and, and like I said, I think the, the key word that you've seen out there is just love, right? I think, I, th- I thought that was really cool what BYU did on their shirts. If you notice when they came out there for the Navy game, it was love one another. Was, and that's a common frame in the LDS, uh, culture with, with a song. But, um, I thought it was, I thought it was a great message that unity and love is a way that we kind of combat this versus violence and, and division. So, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how it continues to play out and, and how BYU addresses it as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with them as far as that goes. David, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, always fun, fellas. Take care. David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst and former BYU linebacker. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Another summer is gone, and you think that yet again you're the best barbecue guy on the block. Are you? You could be one of two contestants to prove it this Friday, September 18th at the Ace Hardware on 6200 South and Highland Drive. Tweet at us now and tell us why you should be there taking on the Zone host for the inaugural Zone Barbecue Championship. It's brought to you by Ace Hardware, the store, Traeger Grills, and the Zone Sports Network. Contestants will be drawn on Thursday the 17th during Scott and Hand's show. Enter now, and you could be there on Friday. Now let's get this party started! This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. One of the best when it comes to college football, especially the Pac-12. John Wilner, at best, what do you think the starting time could be for the Pac-12? If you just look at the timing of the football process, right, they're going to get these tests by the end of September. So the conference could lift the restrictions on competitive practice any time. And Utah, for instance, could be on the field for, you know, early October for four weeks, five weeks of practice. So, I mean, Utah could be ready to go for Saturday, what is it, November 7th, I think. But we'll see what happens with the California schools, especially and whether the state is going to lift the restrictions. And if it does win, it does. And whether that impacts those four schools being able to start when everybody else starts. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. This year in the Golf 2020 U.S. Open preview from Wingfoot Golf Club with Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper is brought to you by Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, and Siegfried and Jensen. Bob, good morning. How you doing? Good. 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 U.S. Open. Championship. U.S. Open in September, and it's it's like the second turn of the new season. It doesn't have to do with the old season. Does any of that matter? Or is it just the U.S. No, Open? Who no, cares? It's, it's Wingfoot, it's, baby. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. It's, it's uh, the second major championship of the year, uh, of the calendar year. It's the U.S. Open. Uh, we've had the PGA, and we'll have the Masters in November. And um, e- even though it's in September, it's okay. We have a U.S. Open. So I'm watching a golf channel, and obviously they're previewing it, doing all that type of stuff that they do, and they literally show the course, and you get you got the fairway, you got the first cut, and then you got the second cut, and that second cut looked like my lawn when I haven't mowed it for three weeks. <laughs> it's deep. <laughs> 
it's really deep. A lot of the a lot of the players are are saying that uh, you know it's wedge out. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one because the U.S. Open has kind of lost its identity over the last little bit with Aaron Hills and and some of the other ones. It's made it a little almost a little bit easier. Um, but now you've got it back to kind of where its roots are with narrow fairways, deep rough, uh, hard, firm, fast greens, hard, firm, fast fairways as well, um, where you, it's a premium to hit the ball in the fairway. It's a premium to drive it uh, well off the tee. It's a premium to, to putt extremely well. Um, and um, it's a premium that when you miss greens, that that you can get it up and down, or um, you, your short short game of putting is going to be huge this week as well. Okay, I don't know how well PK fertilizes his lawn, but my lawn couldn't grow that much in three weeks, no matter what I did to it. There's actually a thing that I've retweeted from golf.com. Put a can of the Arnold Palmer beverage, and it's it looks like it's the can looks like it's eight or nine inches tall, and you right. can barely see the top of it. Right now, I know that the U.S. Open they're going to have spotters out there to find a ball, but if it were just the average foursome plane, they wouldn't even find the ball in that thing. You wouldn't have any idea where it was. How big a penalty is this going to be when someone's ball is? I mean, are you going to be able to reach the green? Are you going to be able to control it coming out of this? I mean, just finding it's going to be hard, let alone hitting it and knowing where it's going. Well, there will be some people um, that that are kind of spotters, uh, as far as volunteers are concerned, to um, to make sure that that they're able to see, you know, tee shots and that kind of thing. Bryson DeChambeau um, has said most, you know, most of the players are trying to figure out how to get the ball in the fairway, and Bryson DeChambeau doesn't care. He wants to hit it as hard as he can. And uh, down there, and um, and hit, you know, wedges and and nine irons and stuff like that out of the rough, and try to get it on the green that way. I think Bryson DeChambeau is going to have an extremely long week with that type of thinking. But um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I know that uh, uh, on Twitter this week there was a picture of one of the pieces of grass that they pulled from uh, the rough on one of the holes and it was a good eight, eight to 12 inches long. Um, so the grass is going to lay over. It's going to be thick. It's going to be tough. Um, they're topping it a little bit, uh, the last couple of days, but they'll let it grow the rest of the week. And, uh, and it's going to be an extremely tough test if you, if you hit the ball in the rough. So how do you think this is going to affect club selection? Well, it depends on what you're talking about. If, if you're talking about off the tee, um, you know, guys are going to have to figure out how to get the ball in the fairway with drivers. There's some there's some holes that you you definitely have to hit driver. But if the golf course plays fast, you're going to see a lot of three woods, five woods. Dustin Johnson put in a driving iron, a two iron, into his bag this week. Took out a seven wood that he normally plays with um, because he hits the ball left to right off the tee, and there's there's as many right-to-left holes, um, holes that, that uh, kind of dogleg right-to-left as there are holes that dogleg left-to-right on this golf course. So he took the driving iron out to be able to hit it um, uh, or shape it a little bit more right-to-left and, and then be able to, uh, to attack the golf course that way. But, but club selection off the tee is going to be huge, no doubt.
Why is Wingfoot, why do, when people say Wingfoot, they just say it with a certain tone in their voice? I mean, the U.S. Open only goes to elite golf courses, but there still seems to be something. What does Wingfoot have that makes it so special? Um, I think it's the design. Um, the, the original designer, uh, A.W. A, uh, Tillinghast, uh, was a phenomenal designer of golf courses. Um, and there's a bunch of them in the, in the, the Northeast that he has designed, but, uh, but, but, um, I, I think the other reason, uh, uh, is because it's a golf course that, um, was brought together by golfers. Um, the, the, um, head professionals at the golf course, Claude Harmon, um, is a master's champion. Um, and he won the masters when he was, um, when he was one of the one of the head pros there, um, you know that it's it is a golf club, um, and and it is a phenomenal design, and it is known for being extremely difficult, um, but very fair as far as a golf course is concerned. I, I know when my dad went when my dad went there in 1959 to play that golf course. Um, he got on the golf course and he said, "You know what? In his mind, he said, if I'm ever going to win a U.S. Open, this is going to this is going to be where where I get where I win." And he went on to win that week by a shot in 1959. Um, so it, it's it's a golf course that requires a lot of um, strategy. It's a golf course that requires uh, a great shot maker, a great putter, um, and. Uh, and everybody knows, just like you hear Shinnecock, you hear um, Oakmont, uh, those, these golf courses, Wingfoot, Shinnecock, Oakmont, they're kind of the granddaddies of, of U.S. Open golf, and, uh, and they're known as being the toughest, toughest and fairest best in the game. Hmm. All right, it's time for the draft. You ready, Bob? Oh, I am ready. Yes, I am. <laughs> I believe tradition dictates that you get to go first. Really? Well, you're the guest. Okay. So I think that's I think that's the way it works. Okay. So I'm not going to pick the obvious favorite, but um, I am going to I'm I'm going to go with Justin Thomas to begin with. He's won three times this year. He won a WGC event uh, just you know three or four weeks ago. Uh, finished second last week at the Tour Championship, and I think this golf course sets up extremely well for him. Well, I'll take John Rahm. Was that your obvious pick that you passed on? No. Oh, okay. Well, then no. I just left the obvious pick out there for PK. Yep, and I think he'll take it. I'll go with Brooks Kepka. Oh, he's not playing. Sorry. I know. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> No, obviously it's Dustin Johnson. Of course it is. That's yeah. the obvious pick. Right. So, yeah. Go hey, get him, PK. Next. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Okay. All right, back to you, Bob, round two. Back to me, round two. I'm going to take one. Here's, here's my out-of-the-blue one again. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Xander Shoffley. Oh, you're killing me. Why is that so out-of-the-blue? I don't know. Is that who you were going to Yes, take? it was absolutely. Look, <laughs> I am so hold on sorry. one second. Yak, look at this list. Look at this list. 
Who's number two, Yach? <laughs> he had he had Zonder Sheffield as right. his number two pick. Yeah. He yes, spelt he it right. He spelt the last did. name right. Yeah, uh, like Xander Shoffley, a San Diego boy, man. And, uh, you know, he's played the U.S. Open three times, Xander Shoffley. He has a third-place finish, a fifth-place finish, and a sixth-place finish. So he hasn't finished worse than sixth. And um, he just he, – I think he likes U.S. Open venues. So that's what I'm taking. All right, Adam Scott. Okay. No, you didn't like that pick at all, did you? No, 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 no. You didn't like it now, Bob. You usually, <laughs> oh, that's a good pick. And it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> Wasted that one, DJ. <laughs> uh, okay. DK, what do you think? <laughs> You're not telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm debating between a couple of guys that maybe the casual follower wouldn't know, but obviously you would know. And that is between Berger and Cantlay. And I think in honor of DJ, I'm going to go Berger. You know what? That's a really good pick. As, as compared to Adam Scott. <laughs> but, <laughs> Finally. <laughs> the delivery was great. Finally, you admit it. It was obvious from the start. You just, you're such a nice guy. You can't bring yourself to, no, to say No, no. Adam Scott's a great player. Um, he's a really nice guy. I, you know, he's still putting broom style um, with the long putter. Uh, yeah, I, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, but but Daniel Berger has played extremely well since the COVID break. And um, he won earlier uh, the first tournament back at Colonial. Um, and a, a good, really good, really good player. So I think uh, he was he was one I was kind of toying between two. Uh, my last two is, is picked, so so you got him. So you picked Daniel Berger. Awesome. My third pick is going to be Webb Simpson. Um, Webb Simpson won the U.S. Open at, at uh, Olympic Club, where my dad also won a U.S. Open. And here, it, here he is. Um, here we are back at um, Wingfoot, where my dad always also won a U.S. Open. Um, and so I, I think Webb Simpson uh, has played some phenomenal golf this year. He's won a couple times, um, and uh, I think this is going to be a good one for him. Trying to think DJ. now. Oh, I feel a lot of pressure now, though. You, you stole a pick from me. You hated a pick by me. I just don't even want to say anything right now. My self-confidence I'm sorry, is such DJ. a low level. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> you want to get that? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call back. You got a bigger name on another <laughs> line, Bob? Nope. All right. Uh, I feel like I shouldn't do this, but I'm drawn to it anyway. All right, Colin Morikawa. There you go. Yeah, That's you hated that one too, didn't you? You hated no, that I one like, too. I really like that one. This is a good golf course for him. And he's not intimidated by playing in major championships. We saw that at the PGA when he won. So, um, yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, he's got confidence that he can play well, um, especially in major championships and against the best players in the world. So I think that's a really good pick, too. Hmm. Call, call him BS on that take, but thanks anyway, Bob. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
I want to be hated. I mean, I enjoy being hated, so I'm tempted to go with DeChambeau since Bob already just poo-pooed him and said he's in for a long week. Uh, said that earlier. Uh, but I think that uh, maybe maybe I'll go with another bomber. This, this, okay. what's this? How do you pronounce this kid's name? Tony? Uh, Finau. Finau, there I it thought, is. I, th- I thought that was all, that was a given for all of us with Tony. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, so, we, all right. We've always kept right. that as the, like, the ninth, the, the pick for all three of you. We want Tony okay, to win. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, so, you're right. So, I'll, 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 I'll. You wanted Cantley earlier. You're going to go with him? You mentioned him in your singer. Yeah, that's pick. a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I thought that player. was an automatic. I honestly thought, well, you're just going to take Cantley. No, I was looking for a, a bomber, and I was thinking between DeChambeau and and Tony. But you're right. We did decide that Tony would be our our, our group sort pick, of uh, yeah. universal pick yep. since we're always going to root for the local dude to, to break through and what a way it would be to break through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Cantley would be the other one. Yeah, good one. Yeah, Cantley is a good pick as well. Um, you know, he hasn't played crazy good since since coming back, but um, but he's he's the kind of guy that kind of plods along and, and puts extremely well. So, yeah, he'll be a good – he'll be a really good pick. So if I were second-guessing these picks right now – the two I would second guess, well, obviously I should second guess Adam Scott because you said it was a, the, the pick sucked. But <laughs> for the picks that don't suck that I would second guess, PK taking DJ, uh, Dustin Johnson, and me taking Morikawa, for guys who've won a lot, it's, it, it, golf is just so, you know, in other sports you can dominate and you can win all the time, but in golf, it's like you can only win a certain number of times, right? If you win five times in a year, you've had an enormous year, even if you're playing 15 or 20 tournaments. So sometimes picking a guy who just won a major or a guy who's won a couple times leading up to the major, it's almost like they can't win because I already won this stuff, and nobody wins that much. Do you think Morikawa winning another major, DJ, who's obviously been on fire, can do it again? Or are the odds just stacked against him because of the nature of golf? Well, I think um, when you look at it, you know, Morikawa, like you said, he won the PGA Championship. He's won three times on tour now. Um, as far as far as him winning again, I think it, it might be a little bit too soon, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past him um, because he is such an accomplished player and what he's been able to do so quick in his career. Only, you know, he's what played probably – less than 30 events and he's won three times um and that's animate with a major so that's phenomenal play as far as dj is concerned dj loves playing in the u.s u.s open he's he's his only major win championship was uh win was at um was a u.s open championship and um and he plays well in u.s open championships so um you know Coming off of uh, winning, um, what, three times in, since the COVID break, um, especially playing extremely well in the last two to three weeks. Um, yeah, it could be um, a little bit um, coming off of, uh, you know, the let, let down, getting player of the year. Um, that kind of thing. It could be a little bit of a letdown, but but DJ's focus this week. He, he's a good pick. Um, I I just chose not to pick him. 
Um, but he's a really good pick, and um, and I expect him to play well because he's the number one player in the world right now. Bob, as always, we appreciate most of what you uh, do, except, you know, when you poo-poo my picks. <laughs> well, I didn't say Adam Scott wasn't a good player. Well, there's that. Silver lining. There's that. Yes, silver lining. Uh, all right, well, we'll talk to you and uh, Brian throughout the week. Thanks for joining us. Okay. All right, Bob Casper, Brian Taylor, here on Saturday morning, Real Golf Radio, 6 to 9 a.m. They got the caddy, they got interviews with players, they got insight, they got all kinds of stuff, and uh, they join us during the major championships here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. They've been doing it for years. Thanks to Bob for coming on with us. All right, DJ and PK, uh, we've got uh, got multiple things to get to here this morning. The Clippers— the complete collapse, no pushback in the second half as they blow a 3-1 lead. It was like it was over before it was over. Uh, we'll get to that coming up. And also the Big Ten, the word leaking out that they are going to restart their football season, play a couple games in October. Their press conference just wrapped up. so they're Oh, it's all done it's now? Done. Four in November, a couple in December, and then straight into the title game and uh, try to squeeze in, see if they can get a 9-0 Ohio State team into a playoff. Who cares? That's what this is all about. So, we'll get to all of that coming up. DJ and PK, brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 7. They're going to be at the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! All right, we're getting a lot of feedback here. The Clippers, another collapse, up 12 in the second quarter. They got reeled in right then. And then the Nuggets dominating the third and fourth quarters. A mere 33 points for the Clippers in the second half. They lose by 15. They were down by 20. There was no pushback, no fight. The Nuggets just tore them apart for 24 minutes in the second half. 104-89. They don't just lose a 3-1 lead and lose the series, which they did. But they got humiliated in the process. None of their uh, big three scorers came up with much of anything. Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George, a combined 10 of 38. Is barely above 25%. And Lou Williams, who comes off the bench and has a bunch of big games, was held to seven points. He was 3 of 11 shooting. So, the Clippers not answering the bell. Biggest choke jobs, biggest collapses in sports history. Who you got? We're tweeting it out. And PK, we're starting to get a little pushback for people who say, hey, what about the Nuggets? Give the Nuggets some credit. Jason says, man, being a Denver fan's got to be like being a BYU fan. If you ever beat someone good, the only narrative is, why did the other team choke? Jason's standing up for the Nuggets. 
I've called Jokic the greatest passing big man I've ever seen. I said no one has played like him. I said Jamal Wary would be ta- I would take him over Kawhi Leonard. I don't know that the Nuggets caused those guys Leonard and Leonard uh, Paul George to go zero for the second zero, half. just zero. for whatever the fourth <laughs> yeah. quarter. They did not score anything, and so if you want to put that on Denver, fine. But when a team has a three-one lead and they're the higher seed, they're expected to win, and the Nuggets. They, they continue to do what they do. I've, I've been pumping up the Nuggets all year. Luke says being up double digits in back-to-back closeout games and losing with two players who are considered superstars is pretty much textbook choking. It really is, man. Doc Rivers, man, geez, I don't know how you did it in Boston because your, your coaching record in big games isn't exactly stellar. So Even in Boston, he collapsed. I know they won the title, but he also had a previous 3-1 that he collapsed in that. And I covered the Clippers when he was a player, and he was sure fun to cover uh, from a media standpoint because he always made himself available. Uh, you know, anybody can make yourself available after big wins. That, that, that doesn't take any big deal. It's the guys who stand up and are accountable after tough losses. And I do have to give him credit. He did, watching the post game. he did say, blame me. I, I take the blame here. So uh, he he was owning it, so I have to give him credit for that. But, yeah, I, and, and the thing about it here is with the Jazz, Jazz put up a ferocious fight in Game 7. I mean, there's a winner and loser every game. And I, I'm looking, you know, what's your attitude? What type of emotion do you expend? And when the game's over, are you literally spent emotionally? And if you do that and you still lose, I can live with that. I'm okay with that. Here, I to me, geez, they, they didn't do that. They didn't they were, fight back. They, there was no, no pushback. And I yeah. really thought, and it was clear they were having a problem. And in the third quarter, everybody was watching the game. This is not genius sports take. Everybody was watching the game in the third quarter thought, the Clippers are feeling this, okay? They are feeling more than just the pressure of the moment. They're feeling game five and game six, and they've blown a double-digit lead. I mean, they got it, and they gave it away in a heartbeat. And it might not be that big a deal because runs happen in NBA games all the time, and 12's not an enormous lead in the second quarter, but because of what's happening in game five and six, they're feeling it. But there's a fourth foul on Jokic. He goes to the bench. He's on the bench for a stretch to start the fourth quarter, and the Clippers are only down seven, and you're thinking, if they just, you know, bucket, stop, bucket, they're back in this, and they, then they've got the momentum, right? And instead, they go down 15. It's like, but you're going to get worked by Denver while, while the Joker's on the bench? That doesn't even make sense. You didn't even trade hoops with him while he was on the bench. You got blown out. It was just like it was the fourth quarter. It was like, bah! And the league went to 15, and it just felt like it what was, was it over like? with seven minutes ago. Bah! <laughs> <laughs> you got to say that, yuck. <laughs> well, I think right there, you're just disrespecting. Speaking of the Nuggets, you're disrespecting Mason Plumley, who is the best backup center backing up the best passing big man center ever. Oh, you're right. My bad. Completely <laughs> overlooked that. I didn't have my Plumley takes organized coming in here this morning, you, and that's on to, me. You have to have that qualifier. The best backup center who backs up the best passing big man. I mean, you could say Derek Cravers is a better backup center, and I would agree with you. But when you add the qualifier, the best backup center backing up the best passing center of all time. You follow me? Gotcha. Yeah. So if you string it out, then Plumlee's got his spot. 
in history, no less. Brady Levingston just tweets at us, Paul George has been plagued with choke artistry. Check the stats. I don't need to check the stats. I check my eyes. <laughs> everybody, everybody remembers the series two years ago with, uh, with the Jazz in Oklahoma City. And he was good early. Shot one off the back of the, not the side started. of the backboard, but the back of the backboard. Playoff piece started night. two years ago, and it has just carried forward. Yeah. I'm not sure how he did that, that shot. It went off the back of the backboard. It's a gift. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna if you put you're a gonna, draw on his J, if you're gonna go down in flames, you might as well have an explosion in 100 foot high flames. It's the point of going down with 40 foot flames. I I do think though I cannot single him out individually though. In, in fairness to him, there were three guys I thought could get hot in a seven point game. You know, in that bucket, stop, bucket, maybe mix in a three in there. It could have been him. It could have been Lou Williams. It could have been Kawhi Leonard. At it, it points this season, it's been any of them. So it could have been any of them in this moment, and you wouldn't have been surprised. You know, if the, if the two superstars hadn't had it going, but Lou Williams had hit a couple of big threes and changed the momentum of the game and, and, and taken the pressure off their shoulders, and we would have looked back and said, well, of course Lou Williams does that. How many times have you seen Lou Williams shoot him back into a game? We've all seen him do that, you know? So it's not, it's not just one guy. They had three guys who could have done it, just, just enough to even keep them close so there was drama at the end, you know? Shot. Yeah. The the shot didn't go in for the Jazz. It could have won the series if Conley hits that, and he didn't, and they lose the series. So they got to wear the three to one, you know. But at least you can say, hey, in the final minute, we were there slugging it out with them, and they made one more shot than us. It still and they sucks. Gave it, all they had. it still sucks. But I would rather say that than we were nowhere to be found in the final twenty four minutes. Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. They they laid over. And the other thing is, for the, everybody who doesn't win, well, you know, the whole, it's what, like 70 years ago now, just wait till next year, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, I think they were the ones who made it famous, just wait till next year. The thing is, literally all the way down to seventh place in the West, and for at least one and maybe two teams beyond that, they're thinking, it's not that big a gap. Seventh to first place sounds like a long way, and historically it is. But not this year when you're seeing all these six- and seven-game series. There's very little separation. Some of you get better. You add a guy or two. Why can't it be you next year? There are so many teams that can say that. And the, the Blazers and the Warriors had injuries, so they weren't top seven. But they think they can say that. You know, why not us? You know, and the Mavericks, they weren't that far from the Clippers and weren't that far from the Nuggets. So unless, unless the Lakers come out here with a couple of sweeps and, you know, LeBron never ages. They well, start, he does. He yeah. will. He's got to at some point. You would have thought it would have already happened, and it hasn't. But it's no, got I don't to like why not us. I like it will be us. Yeah. Be affirmative. Well, it's, lots of people. Lots of people can say that uh, it'll only be one of them next year. But you've but. got to mean. You've got to believe it. Yep. And even if you don't achieve it, you still have to believe it. You have to precede it with belief. Well, that's the kind of stuff Gobert usually tweets out. He did a year ago, right? Our time is coming. Well, yeah, I'm looking at Mitchell. I'm looking at Mitchell, man, because uh, he's going to be the guy. Uh, I'm so excited to see him next season, whenever that might be. Just like I'm excited to see Big Ten football. And I got a beef with some national dude. Come on, on the Pac-12. This, I, I just don't get some logic out there. All right, we'll get to it next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.